This is the I'm not a crook defense. You say it, and I guess that's the end of it. Well, it worked for Nixon. Oh, wait. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It's delayed. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Just looking forward to the holidays. How about you, Desiree? (laughs) Oh, definitely. Well, despite you may have heard before we get there from the uh, president and Trump supporting Republicans and their media apparatchik, no, the two weeks of public impeachment hearings in the U.S. House Intelligence Committee were not a, quote, disaster for Democrats, as they have been portraying and as some in the legitimate media seem to be falling for. The the suggestion is is absurd, and yes, it is actual fake news that out of an abundance of corporate, fair, and balanced media fairness, I guess, non-wingnut media are uh, allowing this line to sort of permeate into the reality of fact-based news reporting. So here is some real news. Among the worst of the legitimate polls regarding impeachment over the past two weeks, One of them that is being cited uh, along with the it's a disaster for Democrats lie. That comes from CNN, which found in its polling over the weekend after the second week of public hearings in the U.S. House wrapped up that public opinion over whether the president ought to be impeached and removed from office remains the same as it was in October. Half of Americans, 50 percent say Trump should be impeached and removed from office. A minority of 43% say he should not be. Neither figure, they note, has uh, changed, CNN notes in their poll, since October, with support for impeachment remaining at its highest level thus far in CNN polling. Independents, by the way, are closely divided on the question, but even there, a majority, 47 percent, are in favor versus 45 percent who are opposed. So Trump is 
seven points underwater nationwide when it comes to support for his removal from office after two weeks of public testimony. And that is somehow a disaster for Democrats? Really? After months, years of unfounded fears that an impeachment inquiry would somehow help Republicans and help the president, that it's a trap impeachment was that Trump actually wanted. Really? This is a disaster for Democrats. 50% of Americans want the president not just impeached, but removed from office. And while views on impeachment and removal have not moved, at least according to CNN's polls, the survey also finds that 53% say Trump improperly used his office to gain political advantage. That is up from 49%, or a gain of four points if you're math impaired, a gain of four points, who said that the uh, said that same thing in October. So that has gone up by four points. So, yes, there is movement in these polls. No, it is not a disaster, as pro-Trump folks have convinced themselves, or at least would love to convince you. More, a strong majority of 56% say the president's efforts to get Ukraine to launch investigations into the Biden family, a Ukrainian energy company, and the 2016 election were more to benefit himself politically than to fight Ukrainian corruption, a full 56%. Now, to further put all of this into perspective with the quote-unquote worse numbers being that, well, 50% of Americans want the president impeached and removed from office, and what a disaster that is for Democrats somehow, the CNN poll also helpfully includes some historic impeachment numbers by way of comparison which, as uh, TPM's Josh Marshall points out, is, quote, a helpful reminder for everyone who has approached this moment with the idea that Americans punish parties who try to impeach a president or that impeaching a president somehow actually works to the president's advantage. Well, clearly not in this case. In recent history, from Bill Clinton through George W. Bush through Barack Obama, the American public has overwhelmingly opposed impeachment let alone removal from office, which isn't even included in these historical numbers. In every instance uh, with these past three presidents, yes, even in the case of Bill Clinton, who was impeached by Republicans but not removed from office, and with George W. Bush, who arguably should have been impeached by Democrats but was not. CNN notes that the peak of support support for the impeachment of then-President Bill Clinton in 1998 was just... 29% in CNN polling. That's the highest that number ever went, despite the fact that the House Republican majority at the time did vote to impeach anyway, and they held a trial in the Senate. Just 29% to impeach Clinton. Throughout all of that sturm and drang at that point. With Trump, right now, just a couple weeks into this thing, 50 percent uh, approve of both impeachment and removal from office. After Clinton, then in a 2006 CNN poll, arguably during the darkest period for George W. Bush's presidency after the failed Iraq war and the Hurricane Katrina disaster, and much more dismal failures. At that point, just 30 percent of the public wanted George W. Bush impeached. In 2014, uh, an even higher number, 33%, said that Barack Obama should be impeached. 
Now, as uh, Josh Marshall notes at TPM, and I agree, the politics of 1998 were pretty clear at the time for anyone who had eyes to see it. Republicans faced a backlash because they pursued impeachment against overwhelming public opposition. But that is decidedly not the case here. And this is a much more polarizing time. The backlash against Democrats, that narrative that there would be a backlash against them, well, that is just belied by these numbers. And that's really the worst of the polls, with worst in quotes there. And uh, it's one, uh, there was another one, uh, that one was taken over the weekend before many of the facts of the public hearings had begun to set in, and before even more has since come out. But uh, since then, another poll released on Tuesday from Reuters finds that, yes, net support for impeachment, in their words, quote, grew steadily during the House hearings. The latest Reuters-Ipsos poll conducted on Monday and Tuesday of this week found that 47% of adults in the U.S. felt Trump should be impeached, while 40% said he should not. Now, that result, combined with uh, Reuters' Ipsos polling over the past several weeks, showed that the number of Americans who want to impeach the president increasingly outnumbers those who do not. Just before the hearing started uh, in uh, mid-November, the Reuters' Ipsos poll found that net support for impeachment was uh, three percentage points at that point, before the public hearings. That then increased each week a little bit uh, over the first week of hearings, second week of hearings. And now the net support for impeachment is at seven points. Wow. What a disaster for Democrats, isn't it? Support for impeachment grew a steady four net points over the past three weeks. So this is somehow terrible for Democrats. And oh, by the way, please don't throw me into the briar patch. In the meantime, since those polls, both of them, there has been just drip, drip, drip each day, seemingly each hour, new damning revelations from this affair continue to be revealed. And remember, the Nixon impeachment inquiry ran for almost a year before the worst material was revealed. This thing has run its course in about two months so far with just two weeks of public hearings. So very quickly, just a few of the uh, new revelations since since we got off air last night alone. Mark Sandy, a career staffer in the White House Office of Management and Budget, told impeachment investigators in recent closed door hearings that two budget staffers in the office left the agency after expressing frustrations about the unexplained hold on Ukrainian aid according to new transcripts released by the U.S. House late on Tuesday. Sandy said that one staffer who worked in the OMB's legal office told him that they were leaving the agency, at least in part because of their concerns regarding the legality of the president's hold on $400 million in Ukraine security assistance, approved by a bipartisan vote in Congress, by the way. Sandy is the Deputy Associate Director for National Security Programs at OMB. He's the first OMB staffer to testify. He said the best way to characterize the legal office staffer's concerns would be his dissenting opinion about the Impoundment Control Act. That is a law that was passed under Richard Nixon to set restrictions on a president deferring congressionally allocated spending uh, funds. Several witnesses have testified in the impeachment inquiry. 
that there were concerns within the administration whether Trump's hold on the Ukraine aid might violate that law. Sandy also identified another staffer who did not work in the legal division but worked in the OMB, uh, who also left the agency after expressing concerns about the president's holdup of that aid. The Pentagon was also concerned about the legality of the hold as well, according to Sandy. He said the Department of Defense stated that they were concerned about the risk associated with an ongoing hold of that money. They were worried it could lead to a violation of, yes, the Impoundment Control Act. Sandy, whose job it was, was to execute the uh, paperwork for funding uh, that had been allocated by Congress. He said he was not given any reason for the freeze until September which is after the news of the hold had become public and there was bipartisan pushback from Congress. That, by the way, was also after House Democrats announced on September 9 that they were investigating Trump uh, and his uh, and Rudy Giuliani's efforts to pressure Ukraine into helping with his reelection. Trump ordered the money to be released not until September 11. That was after the existence of the whistleblower's complaint which kicked off all of this uh, after that had become known to the White House. And speaking of which, more drip, drip, drip in the few hours since our previous broadcast. According to The New York Times last night, Trump had already been briefed on a whistleblower's complaint about his dealings with Ukraine when he unfroze the military aid in September. Lawyers from the White House Counsel's Office told Trump in late August about the complaint. That's earlier than uh, even known until now. The revelation could shed light on Trump's thinking at two critical points that are under scrutiny by the impeachment investigators. His decision in early September to release the $391 million in security assistance to Ukraine and his denial to a key ambassador around the same time that there was a quid pro quo with Kiev. Trump had used the phrase no quid pro quo, no quid pro quo before it had even entered the public lexicon in the Ukraine affair. So that might explain why he suddenly declared no quid pro quo out of nowhere in his phone conversation with his EU ambassador, Gordon Sondland, who was leading the administration's efforts to pressure the new Ukrainian president to announce this investigation into the Bidens and into the 2016 election in hopes of boosting Trump's 2020 re-election campaign. Trump faced bipartisan pressure from Congress when he finally released the aid, but the new timing detail shows that he was also aware by that time that the whistleblower had accused him of wrongdoing in withholding the aid in order to pressure Ukraine to conduct these investigations that could benefit Trump's re-election chances. Moreover, only days after the president learned of the whistleblower complaint, he spoke with Republican Senator Ron Johnson about the aid holdup. Johnson sought permission to tell the Ukrainian president Zelensky that Trump had decided to release the security assistance, according to Senator Johnson himself. But Trump replied that he was not ready. Johnson said uh, that he asked later on in this call with the president whether the aid was linked to some action that the president wanted the Ukrainians to take. According to Johnson, in a letter sent to House Republicans this month, uh, he said without hesitation, President Trump immediately denied such an arrangement existed. He erupted in anger. He began cursing for some reason, according to Johnson. Well, why would he do that? 
No way, Trump said, according to Johnson. I would never do that. Who told you that? Doesn't sound guilty at all, does he? The White House declined uh, to comment to The New York Times in response to any of this for some reason. I guess they hadn't made up their lie yet in response. And, of course, they continue to block many of the first-hand witnesses to all of this from even testifying to impeachment investigators at all. But, wow, what a disaster this has been for Democrats. Am I right, corporate media? Nonetheless, the, re- the repetition without facts that somehow the hearings have been bad for Democrats as opposed to Republicans and the president, that is being heard out there. So we've got a remedy for that as well. More independently verifiable facts. And yes, Congressman Adam Schiff, whose remarkably powerful closing statements at the end of the long impeachment hearings have been somewhat lost to the more immediate revelations of the witnesses themselves over each of those days. We will have a corrective for that as well after a short break here, along with maybe a little more fact ammunition to use with your brain-poisoned wingnut relatives over the holidays, at least as useful. We're just here to help. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. I'm sick and tired of hearing things from uptight, short-sighted, narrow-minded hypocrites. All I want is the truth. Yes. Just give me some truth. Oh, please do. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here to give you some truth. Here's some truth. I never thought much one way or another of uh, Congressman Adam Schiff as a legislator or a politician, to be frank, but he must have been one hell of a prosecutor. Before being elected to Congress, he served as an assistant U.S. attorney out here in Los Angeles in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Yes, he's actually my congressman. But based on his closing statements at the end of each day of the recent public impeachment hearings in the U.S. House Intelligence Committee, which he chairs, closing statements that he seemed to be doing without reading from any notes. This guy is hella good at making a summation case to a jury. 
Wouldn't you agree? Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, in this case, uh, that jury would have been the American people at the end of these public impeachment proceedings each day, at least for those of us who heard those closing arguments he offered. So as I know, most Americans did not get to see or hear Schiff's closing statements each day after those hearings. And that many Americans today are likely traveling for the holidays, perhaps heading home to see family, perhaps family that may not see the world the way that you do. If you are a well-informed member of the fact-based, reality-based community, which listens to the broadcast each day. And as I suspect, Donald Trump and his ongoing impeachment may well just come up around the holiday table for discussion, even while the turkey is being carved up with some very sharp knives. So be careful out there. <laughs> uh, I thought it would help arm you with, if not knives, then some actual sharp facts, some truth that may come in helpful when discussing things uh, with some of those MAGA hat-wearing relatives you may have. And to that end, if you did not hear these, and frankly, even if you did, I think they're well worth another listen, I want to play the closing statements today from the final two days of the public impeachment hearings of Donald J. Trump last week before we move on to the next phase of this impeachment process to come after the holidays. This first closing statement was after testimony by Trump's EU ambassador Gordon Sondland, who testified that, yes, the pressure campaign on Ukraine to announce investigations into Joe Biden and into the debunked theory that Ukraine, not Russia, interfered in the 2016 election on behalf of Hillary Clinton, not Donald Trump, in exchange for the White House granting an Oval Office meeting and some $391 million in military assistance was, in fact, a quid pro quo scheme, and it was personally directed by the president, according to Sondland, who also added that everybody at the White House and in the top echelons of the executive branch all knew about it. Here's Congressman Schiff. Mr. Sondland, thank you for your testimony today. This is a seminal moment in our investigation, and the evidence you have brought forward uh, is deeply significant and troubling. It's been a long hearing, and I know Americans watching throughout the country may not have had the opportunity to watch all of it. So I'm going to go through a few of the highlights, and I'm not going to try to paraphrase what you've said. I'm going to refer to your opening statement. We all understood that if we refused to work with Mr. Giuliani, we would lose an important opportunity to cement relations between the United States and Ukraine. So we followed the president's orders. Mr. Giuliani's requests were a quid pro quo for arranging a White House visit for President Zelensky. Mr. Giuliani demanded that Ukraine make a public statement announcing investigations of the 2016 election, DNC server, and Burisma. Mr. Giuliani was expressing the desires of the President of the United States, and we knew that these investigations were important to the President. Later, you testified, I tried diligently to ask why the aid was suspended, but I never received a clear answer. In the absence of any credible explanation for the suspension of aid, I later came to believe that the resumption of security aid would not occur until there was a public statement from Ukraine committing to the investigations of the 2016 election and Burisma 
as Mr. Giuliani had demanded. I shared concerns of the potential quid pro quo regarding the security aid with Senator Ron Johnson, and I also shared my concern with the Ukrainians. So much for the Ukrainians didn't know. You can't have a quid pro quo unless the Ukrainians know, and you have testified today, Ambassador, the Ukrainians knew. You further testified, Mr. Giuliani emphasized that the President wanted a public statement from President Zelensky committing Ukraine to look into corruption issues. Mr. Giuliani specifically mentioned the 2016 election, including the DNC server and Burisma, as two topics of importance to the President. In reference to the July 10th meeting at the White House, which you attended with Ambassador Bolton and others and Ukrainian delegation, you said, I recall mentioning the prerequisite of investigations before any White House call or meeting. You further testified, again, Mr. Giuliani's demand that President Zelensky make a public statement about investigations. I knew that the topic of investigations was important to President Trump. You testified later, I know that members of this committee have frequently framed these complicated issues in the form of a simple question. Was there a quid pro quo? As I testified previously with regard to the requested White House call and White House meeting, meeting the answer is yes. We all understood these prerequisites for the White House call and White House meeting reflected President Trump's desires and requirements. Later, on the subject of security aid, you testified, in the absence of any credible explanation for the hold, I came to the conclusion that the aid, like the White House visit, was jeopardized. In preparation for a, the September 1 meeting in Warsaw, I asked Secretary Pompeo whether a face-to-face -face conversation between Trump with Zelensky could help break the logjam. And this is from an email that the State Department refuses to provide to us, but you have provided to us, Ambassador. It reads, should we block time in Warsaw for a short pull aside for POTUS to meet Zelensky? I would ask Zelensky to look him in the eye, that is the President, and tell him that once Ukraine's new justice folks are in place in mid-September, that Z should be able to move forward publicly with confidence on those issues of importance to POTUS and to the United States. Hopefully, that will break the logjam. And Secretary Pompeo's reply, yes. Not what issues of importance to the POTUS, not what are you talking about, Ambassador Sondland, because Secretary Pompeo was on the July 25th phone call. He knew what issues were important to POTUS, and there were two of them, the investigation into 2016 and the DNC server, and the investigation into the Bidens. By the end of August, you testified, my belief was that if Ukraine did something to demonstrate a serious intention to fight corruption, specifically addressing Burisma and the 2016 server, then the hold on military aid would be lifted. I mentioned to Vice President Pence before the meetings with Ukrainians that I had concerns that the delay in aid had become tied to the issue of investigations. 
And as you testified, he gave you no response. No, what are you talking about, Ambassador? How could that be, Ambassador? How do we clear this up, Ambassador? He merely nodded his head or took it in. And of course, the record of that 25th call between President Trump and Zelensky was in the vice president's reading book earlier. Then you testified, my goal at the time was to do what was necessary to get the aid released, to break the logjam. I believe that the public statement we had been discussing for weeks was essential to advancing that goal. Now, my colleagues seem to believe, and, and let me add too about this call you had with the president, you have confirmed today, in addition to claiming there was no quid pro quo, the president was adamant that President Zelensky had to, quote, clear things up and do it in public. That's what you have confirmed. That is what you also told Ambassador Taylor. So he would deny there was a quid pro quo, but he was adamant that Zelensky had to, quote, clear things up and do it in public. Now, I've said a lot of things about President Trump over the years. I have very strong feelings about President Trump, which are neither here nor there. But I will say this on the President's behalf. I do not believe that the President would allow himself to be led by the nose by Rudy Giuliani or Ambassador Sondland or anybody else. I think the President was the one who decided whether a meeting would happen, whether aid would be lifted, not anyone who worked for him. And so the answer to the question who was refusing the meeting with Zelensky that you believe should take place and Ambassador Volker believes should take place and everybody believes should take place? The only question was when. Who was the one standing in the way of that meeting? Who was the one refusing to take that meeting? There's only one answer to that question, and it's Donald J. Trump, 45th President of the United States. So who was holding up the military assistance? Was it you, Ambassador Sondland? No, it wasn't. Was it Ambassador Volker? No. Was it Ambassador Taylor? No. Was it uh, Deputy Secretary Kent? No. Was it Secretary of State Pompeo? No. Who had the decision to release the aid? It was one person, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States. Now, my colleagues seem to think, unless the President says the magic words, I hereby bribe the Ukrainians, that there's no evidence of bribery or other high crimes or misdemeanors. But let's look to the best evidence of what's in the president's head. What's his intent? What's the reason behind the hold on the meeting and on the aid? Let's look at what the president has to say. Let's look at what's undisputed about what the president has to say. And you know how we know what the president has to say? Not because what you have represented or others have represented, but because we have a record of his conversation. And with who? The one who really matters with the other president, Zelensky, and this is what he says. He says, Rudy very much knows what's happening, and he is a very capable guy. This is after he says he wants a favor, and he goes into CrowdStrike in 2016. He says, Rudy very much knows what's happening and is a very capable guy. If you could speak to him, that would be great. The former ambassador from the United States, the woman was bad news. And the people she was dealing with in Ukraine were bad news. So I just want to let you know that. The other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son. 
that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that, so whatever you can do with the attorney general, that would be great. Biden went about bragging that he stopped the prosecution, so if you could look into it, it sounds horrible to me. So what's in the president's mind when he has placed this otherwise inexplicable hold on the aid when he refuses to take the meeting? What's on his mind? Biden. He makes that abundantly clear. I understand, Ambassador, you said you didn't make the connection between Burisma and Biden. I will let the American people judge the credibility of that answer. But there's no mistaking what Donald Trump's interest was. There's no mistaking about what Donald Trump meant when he had that call with you on an unsecure phone as you're sitting there in an outdoor terrace in Ukraine. When the president said investigation, he meant Biden. He made that abundantly clear to the president of Ukraine the day before. The question is not what the president meant. The question is not whether he was responsible for holding up the aid. He was. The question is not whether everybody knew it. Apparently, they did. The question is, what are we prepared to do about it? Is there any accountability? Or are we forced to conclude that this is just now the world that we live in, when a president of the United States can withhold vital military aid from an ally at war with the Russians, an ally fighting our fight too, to defend our country against Russian aggression, are we prepared to say, in the words of Mick Mulvaney, get over it or get used to it? We are not prepared to say that. We are not prepared to say that. And I appreciate Ambassador Volker, uh, Ambassador Sondland, I appreciate the fact that you have not opined on whether the president should be impeached or not be impeached, or whether the crime of bribery or the impeachable offense of bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanors has been committed. That is for us to decide in consultation with our constituents and our conscience. That is for us to decide. And much as my colleagues have said otherwise, this is not an easy decision for any of us. And much as my colleagues may say otherwise, this is not something we relish for over a year, I resisted this whole idea of going down the road to impeachment. But it was made necessary, and not by the whistleblower, but by the actions of the president. I'm continually struck how my colleagues would suggest that because the president got caught, we should ignore the fact that he was conditioning official acts in order to get political favors, in order to get an investigation against his rival. Getting caught is no defense, not to a violation of the Constitution or to a violation of his oath of office, and it certainly doesn't give us a reason to ignore our own oath of office. We are adjourned. That was House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff's closing statement last week after Donald Trump's EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland's blockbuster testimony in the public impeachment hearings of Donald J. Trump. But Schiff saved the best for last, and that's next on the broadcast for your holiday education and enlightenment. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Just one week before Thanksgiving's Day, members of the U.S. House Intelligence Committee wrapped up two weeks of public impeachment hearings at least for the moment, with the testimony of Dr. Fiona Hill, Trump's top Russia expert on his own National Security Council, who undercut Trump's, quote, fictional claim that Ukraine, not Russia, interfered in the 2016 elections, adding that Russia was actively planning to disrupt the 2020 election as well, and that Trump's efforts to pressure Ukraine for dirt that would help him politically was a, quote, domestic political errand, that conflicted with the NSC's national security efforts in the region. Also testifying that day was David Holmes, a staffer at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine, who testified that he overheard a phone call between Trump and his donor-turned-EU ambassador Gordon Sondland, in which Trump was eager to hear how his demand for investigations from Ukraine into his 2020 political rivals was going, following a phone call between the two presidents just the day before. After which, Sondland admitted to Holmes that Trump cared only about Ukraine in as much as it helped him on a personal level to increase his odds of winning re-election in 2020. Intelligence Chair Adam Schiff wrapped up that riveting day of testimony and the two weeks of public impeachment hearings before it with a doozy of a closing summation statement, which, since it has been overshadowed in the days since by actual testimony of witnesses, I thought deserves another close listen in full in case you missed it or even if you didn't before the holidays. First of all, I want to thank you both uh, for your testimony. I want to thank you for your uh, long years of service to the country. You're not Democratic witnesses or Republican witnesses. Uh, You're nonpartisan witnesses and you have stuck to the facts and that is as it should be. Uh, First, I want to make a couple observations about the hearing today. And um, Dr. Hill, you were criticized several times by my colleagues for your opening statement. I'm glad you didn't back down from it. Um, You're much more diplomatic than I am, I have to say. Um, Anyone watching these proceedings, anyone reading the deposition transcripts would have the same impression that you evidently had from hearing my colleagues talk about the Russia hoax that the whole idea that Russia had gotten involved in the 2016 election was a hoax put out by the Democrats. Uh, And of course, they're not alone in pushing out this idea. It is trumpeted by no one other than the President of the United States, who almost on a daily basis at times would comment and tweet and propagate the idea that Russia's interference in our election was a hoax. And of course, we all remember that debacle in Helsinki when the president stood next to Vladimir Putin and questioned his own intelligence agencies. I wish I had heard just some of the righteous indignation we heard in the committee today. 
when the president questioned that fundamental conclusion of our intelligence agencies. But of course, they were silent when the president said that. They'll show indignation today, but they will cower when they hear the president questioning the very conclusions that our intelligence community has reached. But we saw something interesting also today. My colleagues sought to use you, Dr. Hill, to besmirch the character of Colonel Vindman. And I thought this was very interesting. It certainly wasn't unexpected, but it was very interesting for this reason. They didn't really question anything Colonel Vindman said. After all, what Colonel Vindman said is what, what you said. He was in that July 10th meeting. He heard the same quid pro quo, the same comments by Sondland. If you want this meeting, Ukrainians, and we have an agreement about this, you got to announce you're going to do these investigations. They heard the same quid pro quo that you did. So why are they smearing him? Uh, Mr. Holmes, you testified, just as Vindman said, Colonel Vindman said, that he warned Zelensky about getting involved in U.S. politics. They don't question that. They didn't take issue with that. So why smear this Purple Heart recipient? Just like the smear of Ambassador Yovanovitch, it's just gratuitous. They don't question the facts. It's just gratuitous. The, the attack on you, Mr. Holmes, that you were indiscreet in mentioning this conversation to others. Well, I think you're quite right. The indiscretion is when an ambassador to the UU calls the president on an insecure line in a country known for Russian telecommunications and eavesdropping. That's more than indiscretion. That's a security risk. But, but why attack you, Mr. Holmes? They didn't question anything you said. They didn't question what conversation you overheard. Ambassador Sondland, indeed, didn't question what you said. He acknowledged that the one thing the president wanted to know the day after that conversation with Zelensky was, is he going to do the investigations? And Sondland said, yes, he'll do anything you ask. They don't question that. So why attack you? They didn't question your testimony when you said, um, and I think you, you asked, Ambassador Sondland, does Donald Trump give a blank and I would like to use the word here, about Ukraine. And he said, he doesn't give a blank about Ukraine. He only cares about the big stuff. And you said, well, there's some big stuff here. Ukraine's at war with Russia. That's kind of big stuff. And his answer was, no, 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 no. He cares about the big stuff that matters to him, his personal interests, like the Biden investigation that Giuliani wants. I mean, one question posed by your testimony, Mr. Holmes, is what do we care about? Do we care about the big stuff, like the Constitution, like an oath of office, or do we only care now about party? What do we care about? But let's, let's go beyond your testimony today. Let's look at the bigger picture. What do we know now after these depositions, these secret depositions? Now, people watching at home might not know that in these secret depositions which apparently no one else is allowed to hear. No members are allowed to participate. It's just secret, apparently. Sounds like it's just me and the witness. Only over 100 members of Congress are able to participate in those secret depositions. And the minority was just so um, uh, unable to participate 
They got the same time they got in these open hearings. It was the same format. That was the secret star chamber that you've been hearing so much about. Um, so what have, what have we learned through these depositions and through the testimony? Because so much of this is really undisputed. We learned that a dedicated public servant named Marie Ivanovich, known for fighting corruption, widely respected throughout the diplomatic corps, was ruthlessly smeared by Rudy Giuliani, by the president's own son, by their friends on Fox Primetime, and a whole host of other characters. Her reputation was sullied so they could get her out of the way, which they did. And you're right. It was gratuitous. The president could have gotten rid of her any time he wanted. But that's not enough for this president. No, he has to smear and destroy those that get in his way. And someone fighting corruption in Ukraine was getting in his way. So she's gone. She's gone. And this makes way almost immediately thereafter. She leaves. The three amigos come in. The three amigos. Two of whom never made the connection that Burisma means Biden. It took Tim Morrison all of 30 seconds on Google to figure that out. But, but we're to believe, I guess, that in all the companies in all the world, that Rudy Giuliani just happens to be interested in this one? That's, that's absurd. The interest, of course, was in an investigation of Donald Trump's rival, the one that he apparently feared the most. And they were willing to do whatever was necessary to get Ukraine to do that dirty work, to do that political investigation. And so it began, we're not going to set up a phone call until you make certain commitments. That was Ambassador Sondland's testimony. The first quid pro quo was actually just getting on the phone with President Trump. And then there was the quid pro quo involving the White House meeting. And witness after witness, and none of my colleagues contested this, talked about just how important that meeting was to the President of Ukraine and why they're at war with Russia and their most important ally is the United States. And the most important person in the United States for that relationship is the President of the United States. And if President Zelensky can show that he has a good relationship with the President of the United States, it means to his people that this new President has the support of their most important patron, and it means to the Russians that we have their back. This President, this new President who is negotiating with a far superior power that has invaded his country, is going into negotiation with Putin over how to resolve this conflict. Whether he has good leverage or lousy leverage depends, depends on whether the Russians think he has a relationship with the president. And the president wouldn't give him that, not without getting something in return, wouldn't give him that official act, that White House meeting, without getting something in return. And that return was investigations of his rival that would help his reelection. An official act or something of clear value and something very important, the big stuff, as Sondland explained to you, Mr. Holmes, to help his campaign. Now, we also heard abundant testimony about the other quid pro quo, the withholding of security assistance, which no one can explain. There's no debate among my colleagues. Everyone in the NSC, in the State Department, the Defense Department, everyone supported this. Everyone. 
all the reviews that needed to be done to make sure that Ukraine was meeting its anti-corruption standards had been done. And they had found to meet the criteria the aid should have been released, but it was withheld and no one could understand or get a clear explanation for why until it became clear to everyone it's all about the investigations. It's all about the leverage. And if there was any doubt about it, the man closest to the president who meets with him every day, Mick Mulvaney, erased all doubt. You're darn right. Yes, we talked about the 2016 uh, election investigation. And yes, this was in the context of holding up the military aid. And, you know, just get used to it or just get over it or whatever it was he said because that's how we roll. Those are my words, not his. But that's the import. Yeah, there's going to be politics, and just get over it. Well, if we care about the big stuff, we can't just get over it. Now, my colleagues have had a lot of defenses to all of this evidence, which has piled up day after day after day, and it's amazing. They hear you testify, Mr. Holmes, that it was clear that the security assistance was being withheld. It was clear to all of the Americans. It was clear to the Ukrainians. You testify the Ukrainians felt pressure. They still feel pressure to this day. And what are my colleagues saying? The same hearing. I mean, I guess they're not listening. The Ukrainians felt no pressure. There's no evidence they felt pressure, which gets into their next defense, which is, it's all hearsay. It's all hearsay. Now, most of my colleagues, I guess, are not lawyers. Lawyers out there understand just how wrong they are about what hearsay is, but let's just discuss this in terms that, that all people can understand. The impression they would have you take from it's all hearsay is because we in this committee were not in that wardroom with you, Dr. Hill. We were not in that meeting earlier with Dr. Bolton that because we're not in the room, it's all hearsay. After all, you're relating what you heard and you're saying it, so it must be hearsay and therefore we don't really have to think about it, do we? We don't have to consider that you have direct evidence that this meeting in the White House was being withheld because the president wanted these meetings, uh, these investigations, we can't accept that. Well, if that were true, you could never present any evidence in court unless the jury was also in the wardroom. That's absurd. They don't accept the documentary evidence, all the text messages about quid pro quos, and are we really saying, and that's crazy, and if the, my worst nightmare is the Russians will get it and I'll quit. They don't accept the documents, the few documents that we have from the State Department that weren't produced, by the way, by the State Department, where Sondland communicates directly with the Secretary of State about this investigative interest of the president. And they don't accept the documents either. I guess the documents are also hearsay. Now, it might be a little more convincing if they were joining us in demanding that the documents be produced, but of course they're not. And we know why not. Because the documents are like that one we saw on the screen, they implicate others, including Secretary Pompeo. So, of course, Donald Trump and Secretary Pompeo don't want us to see those documents. But apparently it's all hearsay. Even when you actually hear the president, Mr. Holmes, that's hearsay. We can't rely on people saying what the president said. Apparently we can only rely on what the president says, and there we shouldn't even rely on that either.
We shouldn't really rely on what the president said in the call record. We should imagine he said something else. We should imagine he said something about actually fighting corruption instead of what he actually said, which was, I want you to do us a favor, though. I want you to look into this 2016 crowd strike conspiracy theory, and I want you to look into the Bidens. I guess we're not even supposed to rely on that because that's hearsay. Well, that's absurd. That would be like saying you can't rely on the testimony of the burglars during Watergate because it's only hearsay. Or you can't consider the fact that they tried to break in because they got caught. They actually didn't get what they came for, so, you know, kind of no harm, no foul. That's absurd. That's absurd. But the other, the other defense besides it failed, the scheme failed, they got caught, the other defense is the president denies it. Well, I guess that's case closed, right? The president says, really quite spontaneously, not as if he was asked in this way. No quid pro quo. What do you want from Ukraine? No, no quid pro quo. This is the I'm not a crook defense. You say it, and I guess that's the end of it. Well, the only thing we can say is that it's not so much that this situation is different in turn of, terms of Nixon's conduct and Trump's conduct. What we've seen here is far more serious than a third-rate burglary of the Democratic headquarters. What we're talking about here is the withholding of recognition in that White House meeting, the withholding of military aid to an ally at war. That is beyond anything Nixon did. The difference between then and now is not the difference between Nixon and Trump. It's the difference between that Congress and this one. And so we, we are asking, where is Howard Baker? Where is Howard Baker? Where are the people who are willing to go beyond their party to look to their duty? I, I was struck by Colonel Vinsman's testimony because he said that he acted out of duty. What is our duty here? That's what we need to be asking. Not using metaphors about balls and strikes or um, our team and your team. I've heard my colleagues use those metaphors. This should be about duty. What is our duty? We are, and this gets to Mr. Heck's point, we, we are the indispensable nation. We still are. People look to us from all over the world. Journalists from their jail cells in Turkey, the victims of mass extrajudicial killing in the Philippines, people who gathered in Tahrir Square wanting a representative government, people in China who are Uyghurs, um, People in Ukraine who want a better future, they look to us. They're not going to look to the Russians. They're not going to look to the Chinese. They can't look to Europe with all its problems. They still look to us, and increasingly, they don't recognize what they see. Because what they see is 
Americans saying, don't engage in political prosecutions. And what they say back is, oh, you mean like the Bidens and the Clintons that you want us to investigate? What they see, they don't recognize. And that is a, a terrible tragedy for us, but it's a greater tragedy for the rest of the world. Now, I, I happen to think that when the founders provided a mechanism in the Constitution for impeachment, they were worried about what might happen if someone unethical took the highest office in the land and used it for their personal gain and not because of deep care about the big things that should matter, like our national security and our defense and our allies and what the country stands for. I happen to think that's why they put that remedy in the Constitution. And I think we need to consult our conscience and our constituents and decide whether that remedy is appropriate here, whether that remedy is necessary here. And as you know, notwithstanding what my colleague said, I resisted going down this path for a long time, but I will tell you why I could resist no more. And it came down to this, it came down to, actually it came down to timing. It came down to the fact that the day after Bob Mueller testified, the day after Bob Mueller testified that Donald Trump invited Russian interference, hey Russia, if you're listening, come get Hillary's emails, and later that day they tried to hack her server. The day after he testified that not only did Trump invite that interference, but that he welcomed the help in the campaign, they made full use of it, they lied about it, they obstructed the investigation into it, and all this is in his testimony and his report. The day after that, Donald Trump is back on the phone asking another nation to involve itself in another U.S. election. That says to me, this president believes he is above the law, beyond accountability. And in my view, there is nothing more dangerous than an unethical president who believes they are above the law. And I would just say to people watching here at home and around the world, in the words of my great colleague, we are better than that. Adjourned. That was Congressman Adam Schiff, the chair of the U.S. House Intelligence Committee on the final day of public hearings, final day for now of public hearings in the uh, impeachment of Donald J. Trump. Uh, like Adam Schiff, we take our duty, our constitutional duty of informing the electorate very seriously here on the Bradcast, and I hope that we have done that today, as I hope we do every day on the Bradcast. Of course, we could not do it without those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, 
I am simply the Brad Blog. I hope you find, follow, and share us there, especially over the holidays. We will miss you, but I hope you have a good one. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.